Well, welcome to another episode of Productivity to Profit. I want to introduce my guest, Carol Scott. She is known as the Relationship Whisperer. Isn't that exciting? She is a trauma-informed development psychologist who shares how the first 2,500 days of our lives determine our skills for relationships. Um, I can't wait to hear all about this. She has realized her life mission to improve the, uh, the better way to treat each other by teaching you what you have always wanted to know about what makes people tick. Welcome, Carol. Thank you so much, Kathy. I am delighted to be here with you. Oh, I'm so excited because this is a topic, I don't care who you are, that you can learn something from, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so let's just get into it. I'm just going to ask you, what do you mean by, you know, the first uh, 2,500, you know, days of our lives determine our skills for relationships? I just want to know more about that. And, you know, Kathy, that is all pure neuroscience. It's the nerdy part of early childhood development. Our human brains, when we're born, are largely unwired. You know, we have, like, if you think of a communication system, we have the main trunk lines hooked up. You know, our eyes are hooked up to where the vision is going to be received. There are no, you know, your sensory organs are, are hooked up in the basic motor structure. But otherwise, all the rest of your brain gets connected and creates meaning and understanding over the first 2,500, well, really a little less than that, about the first five years of your life and 2,500 days is seven years. So you get the architecture in five years and a lot of actually the architecture for relationships is from birth to three. Oh my goodness, that that's amazing to even think that um, all that time back there was really has constructed, you know, our lives going forward. Yes. That is, you know, amazing. And I love to learn about the brain. I, you know, I just in the little bit I do with productivity and stuff and looking at mindset and some of the things that I've realized as I've grown as a productivity expert is, you know, I've realized how some of my former, you know, my, my uh, younger years have um, influenced what I think and how I feel now. So can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, during the first three years of life, especially right in the very beginning in that first year, we're so dependent as babies on the adults who take care of us. We are utterly dependent on them. And in fact, without them, we would die, surely. And so every interaction we have, every time one of our caregiver adults comes in range to us, everything that happens wires the brain, everything that happens. So from the moment the child opens their eyes and has a contact with the world, neurons are literally finding each other and connecting. There's like little electrical charges. It would sound like popcorn, I think, if you could hear it in the very young brain. And so when the child gets an interaction that, for example, meets their need, they're hungry and somebody comes and picks them up and feeds them, that wires up a part of the connections in your brain that tells you that relationships are safe, people have your back, somebody's there for you when you need them. And if instead you lie in the dark crying for an hour and nobody comes and feeds you, your brain still wires up around that just differently. Interesting, interesting. So how, do you, uh, so how do you think that that affects us as adults? 
That is the key question, isn't it? Because we, <laughs> we leave all that behind us, but instead it's the foundation that we build on. So our whole personality structure, our whole way of coping with life is all built around how that wiring went. And for some of us, that went just fine, you know, and maybe there were a few slip ups along the way over those first five to seven years, but mostly we're in good shape. And others of us, you know, we grew up in families where there were lots of difficulties in meeting children's needs and responding and, and being kind of co-regulating with children emotionally when they're that young is so important. And so we have all these coping strategies and we think we're doing fine, but they really can impede our productivity. So for example, if I've learned that I really can't trust people, one of my coping strategies is to do everything myself, right? Or to uh, just sort of give up and do nothing and, and wait to be rescued. They're sort of like two ends of a continuum and neither of those is productivity oriented. And so we have to recognize when, oh, I can't delegate as the boss because I really don't trust they're gonna do it if I delegate it. And so I semi-delegate and then I you know, micromanage and I really wind up doing it myself. And, productivity is impaired. Oh, I, I can just, I can see that now. So um, it's, it really does. Uh, as I said, I, you know, I have connected with some of the circumstances, you know, of my younger years and how that has affected us. And the strange thing is we don't know it. We don't realize it until it's brought to our attention, you know, of, uh, a situation or whatever. And some of those I'm sure we don't ever remember. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, you really can't remember much before the age of three before you can talk. And if you have a memory, it's kind of just like embedded as a body feeling. It's sensory body imagery almost. It's not really, because you don't have any words to talk about it when it happens. So it's not coded in words. But, um, you know, I think one of the good examples that I could give you, I went to, I had the great good fortune to attend the um, Center for Leadership Development, uh, Leadership Development Program. It's their initiating one week leadership development program um, back when I was in my early 40s. And uh, it includes a 360 evaluation. So you get feedback from your peers, from your direct reports and from your supervisors. And it's all packaged and delivered to you during the course of the leadership week, the training week. And so one of the things that I learned from that 360 feedback is that people experienced me as um, kind of abrupt and they picked words like uh, uh, brusque, abrasive. And what I realized out of that was that I had a lot of social anxiety that was coming across to other people, not as anxiety, but as I'm in a hurry, I'm too busy for you, I'm, uh, I, I don't want to talk to you right now. And so recognizing from that outward mirror, oh, you know, I've got this coping strategy that makes me want to run away from people because I'm so anxious, that probably doesn't look that good on somebody in my position. I was already in a leadership position. Um, and so I had to do some work on that. I had to recognize that social anxiety and manage it differently. Still have it. This doesn't come across. <laughs> well, I think when we learn and we understand where some of our um, actions and, and things that come across, you know, when we understand that that's the way that we can start changing the way we act or respond to things. So is there any way, you know, you talked about, um, wiring our brain when we're really young. So is there any way to rewire that now that we're older? There absolutely is. The brain is, as we know from uh, like brain trauma, we know that the brain is very plastic. You damage the part of your brain that can talk, another part of your brain can figure out how to talk for you. You damage the part of your brain that knows how to walk, 
you can relearn how to walk with another part of your brain. And that is also true. You can rewire. It takes, uh, it just like physical therapy, repatterns the brain around movement. We have to have mental and emotional therapy to repattern. So it's a repetitive, iterative time process. You can't do it overnight. You can't do it in a workshop, but you can identify what's the pattern I have now and then change it. And a lot of the work that I do is what I call development do-overs. Okay. All right. And so the, the first step is just recognizing it, right? Correct? Yes. Yes, you have to see that there is something that is impeding your productivity Productivity that is related to your capacity for personal interaction and for emotional self-regulation and relationship. And, you know, I'm, I've actually decided not to call myself the relationship whisperer. I didn't correct that in the, the information that I sent you because uh -huh. many, there's actually several people who already do, and they all are about romantic, marital kind of relationships. And that's not really what I'm talking about at all. It's all about every interpersonal relationship that affects your ability to have your life be what you want it to be. Productive, happy, joyful, uh, all of those things. And we can do over any uh, unintentional or really severe damage that was done to, to us. Because parents do a lot of well-intentioned things that also don't help children grow up into be people who do well in relationships. They try hard, but they don't know what they're doing. Well, and a lot of times, you know, and I have a story just myself, I think I've probably said it before, but, you know, is, and it's not always not, you know, is not coming from love, because a lot of times it's coming from love. Yes. But it's, it's a situation of their concern for us, but it's the statements that they say, or the situation we're in, that we take it and run with it in a different, totally different way. You know, uh, I'll just explain real fast. So I was in the fifth grade. I always wanted to be a teacher that's, you know, played teacher with my friends all the time, all summer. That's what I wanted to do is be a teacher. And I remember in the fifth grade, we had a parent teacher conference and um, my mother was, I, you know, I can put myself right there. Right now. Yeah, my mother is standing cool. next to me and she said, you know, to the teacher, you know, it's so sad, Kathy won't be able to become a teacher if she fails history, because I was not doing well in history, but it because I had a reading problem and nobody had diagnosed it at that point in time, you know, and um, so, you know, I think I just kept that in the back of my mind that I could just never do that. And I won't go into the rest of the story, but I found myself Right. deviating from that plan quite a few times sure. and you know so it's not you know and it's not that she was being trying to be mean or she was just had concern for me not at all and I actually what I say often is that the time when children lose the greatest capacity for their productivity as an adult is when they're toddlers and we call it the terrible twos because we don't understand what's happening this little child is developing personality. They're figuring out who they are, what they want, what they think, and how they feel, and how that is different from what other people want, think, and feel. And a lot of the messaging to toddlers is, oh no, don't think that, don't feel that, and don't want to do that. <laughs> All the world is full of no's to toddlers about everything that they are exploring to find out who they are. And so a lot of us from those very early toddler years wind up thinking, I'm not okay unless I follow all their rules about how I'm supposed to be. I can't be who I want to be. I can't be the teacher. I can't be, I can't grow up to be, you know, princess 
of the world because it's not a job. <laughs> so do you have a process that you use or is it just back to what, you know, what you're saying, you know, we first have to figure it out, but do you have a process that you help people with? I do. I um, use my uh, background in developmental psychology and early childhood education to create a framework that I call the seven childhood treasures. And I name them other things sometimes too, like <laughs> seven self-aware success strategies and other <laughs> kinds of things. But essentially it's one interpersonal, what I would call uh, emotional and social capacity that we get with each year of life from birth to seven. So those first 2,500 days, seven years, one asset per year, seven years, seven assets. And then we look at how does that work in your life right now? So when you were an infant, you were supposed to develop the capacity to trust other people. How's that going? What's it look like? Do you trust other people? So I have some exercises and activities to assess and see how that works for you, how you think about it now. And then some activities to let you start building from where you are to a greater capacity for trust. First, by noticing there's more trust in your life than you think if you just reframe how you think about it. And so we look at who do you trust in your life and for what things do you trust them? And then where are you missing a sense of needing to trust people? And how can you take the trust you have as a tool to build more trust? Those kinds of activities, yeah. Okay, that sounds awesome. Very interesting, very interesting. Now, do you find that um, there's a difference between men and women in this whole area? Well, you know, here's what I have found. It, what my, the kind of people my work attracts is what I would call women on the rise. Women who have already done some of the basics of, um, oh, like trauma recovery. Say they've gone to therapy and they've identified that, you know, they had some rough spots in their childhood and they've worked through some of the stuff and they're, they're doing okay. They're not uh, like, at, they're not, <laughs> I can't really help women who are at the bottom of, I just am drinking too much and I'm just figuring it out. I mean, if you're just hitting bottom in your life, that I'm, you're not ready for me yet is what I want to say. You need to be on the rise. You need to get past some of that basic foundational recovery work if you have it to do. And then when you're seeing, wow, I got some stuff going on here. Things are clicking for me. But there seem to be some, I don't know, invisible barriers in my way. I don't have the self-confidence that I ought to have given what I'm doing and what I know and how much I've studied. I need something to kind of evolve me personally and professionally. That's the kind of people that I work with best. Men have come into my classes and, and done well too, into my workshops and, and have gotten some resonance for it. But it seems to attract that category of women. Women in their 30, 40, 50 range, building their careers, getting excited about their business and their successes and feeling like, is there like something, some big weight on my ankle or something? What is that? That's what I'm here to help with, the what is that? Yeah, that, that makes so much sense because I think we as women tend to, um, are willing to open up a little bit more, look, look for that self-improvement, that self, you know, self-help type stuff. And once we can get through some of that, then I think we're opened up for a little bit more. I think more men are coming around to that, but I think for a long time, they were just too mighty and tough to have to worry about their feelings, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's interesting, Kathy. The men who have come to my work and really loved it, are younger generations. They're not my generation. They're not even the next generation below me. They're like the next one and the next one. Yeah. 
And I think that that is an evolution of the definition of masculinity, allowing for more of that kind of, oh, you know, there's a social and interpersonal and emotional side to me. Yeah, that, that just triggers a thought, you know, you know, so think about, you know, when men started becoming stay at home moms, you know, or stay at home dads and letting, you know, so all that started to shift and change and then yeah. society is okay and, you know, and um, supports that now. And so men can be, um, you know, on that, that side of things a whole lot easier. Yeah. So um, how do, so do you do, you, you mentioned workshops. So do you, is that how most people work with you? They work with you one-on-one? -on -one? Um, all of the above. So you can kind of do it for yourself. You can buy my book. Uh, it's called Just Be Your S-E-L-F, Your Self-Governed, Ego-Aware, Leading Free Self. Um, and that sells on Amazon, on my website, all kinds of places for less than $20. So do it yourself for less than $20. Read the book. It's, a workbook. <laughs> it's a workbook full of the exercises that I offer in my workshops. Do them. Um, I also can do a keynote address at a conference or speak to a room full of people and do workshops that are more interactive for three hours at a time. And I coach also individually. So um, I can meet with people by Zoom or by telephone. It helps that they've already done some of the groundwork, that they already know the work, the framework of the seven childhood treasures. They've read the book, they've come to a workshop uh, before we get to coaching, of course. Well, that makes so much more sense because they already have a awareness of your system and your process. And so they've had time to think about that and reflect on that. And I'm sure that makes your coaching a lot more effective. Yes, very much. Very much okay. so. Great. So um, is there anything else about this topic that you'd like to share? You know, one of the things I always want to, to tell people is no matter how hard your childhood was or how easy it was and yet you still can't figure out why things don't work, it, no matter where you sit, it doesn't have to stay like that. There is uh, another choice is what I want people to know. And I, I grew, you know, we have these things now in developmental psychology and early education that we call ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And there are 10 of them that were identified by research as being particularly damaging. Um, and in fact, not only rewiring our brains, but uh, also creating a long-term health Problems. So people who have a lot of adverse childhood experiences tend more often to have life-threatening illnesses like diabetes, heart disease. Uh, they tend to be alcoholics more often, have problems with drug abuse, etc. So there's all these long-term adult correlations with the ACEs. And so I always like to tell people because it's helpful to know, I grew up in a family with seven ACEs on my head as a little kid. And here I am, I'm okay. I did some therapy, I did some rewiring of my brain, I did some work and I got out from under all that. It doesn't mean that those things didn't happen to me and that they didn't hurt, they did happen and they did hurt. And I have learned how to have a productive, happy, joy-filled life beyond that. So it is A, never too late and B, never impossible to have a better life, you can. That's awesome to, to hear that. And yeah, I was a, a one of a seven. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a big thing. I was in the dead middle. So, you know, I, and I was always the peacemaker of the family, you know, so I guess I was always trying to go on both sides, trying to <laughs> the fulcrum in the teeter totter, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, why don't you tell everyone how they can find you, get more information about your book, your, you know, your programs? Terrific. Um, right now, the best way to reach me is through my website, lcarolscott.com. You can buy my books and sign up for coaching. And um, I don't have any speaking engagements on my calendar right now. No surprise with the pandemic. <laughs> That's pretty much still that role. Um, but as I add speaking engagements and classes, I'll put them on my calendar. And I would invite you to uh, join my email list there, downloading the Seven Childhood Treasures Manifesto for your life. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carol, for uh, being here and sharing your expertise. And I'm looking forward to getting the book because I just want to see if I can dig into that a little bit more. I've been working on that, you know, as women do, you know, working on that for a long time. And so, you know, every step just makes you feel better. <laughs> thank you, Kathy, for having me. I so enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, so until next time, stay productive and profitable.